0: Jesus was a
1: No matter how hard we try, we seem to fall victim of sin every week. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, they will be forgiven. Please join me in our prayer of confession. God, you know us and we come before you seeking your forgiveness and mercy. You know the words we spoke this week, the attitudes of our hearts, and the motives behind the actions we took. As you know, some of it wasn't so great and God-honoring. Forgive our foolish ways and restore unto us the joy of your salvation that guilt has choked. Help us overcome our sinful ways and live like you in all our ways. This we ask in our Savior's name, Jesus. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Colossians 1 verses 21 through 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And Our guidelines for living this morning also comes from Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection.
2: Let's continue in our worship, let's stand together as we sing and
0: describe the
2: Hoffman. Deuteronomy 33, 26 27 says, There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides on the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemy before you, saying, Destroy him. Father in heaven, we thank you that your arms never grow weary, they never grow tired and that your arms are always underneath us, protecting us. We give you that praise, Lord, and honor that you deserve, and we thank you for many of the blessings you supply us with, and for the wonderful blessing we have to give just a small portion back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. To the presence of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can lean on your everlasting arms as we come to you with our prayer requests and our needs. We pray for our country, Lord, and the challenges that are there. Some of the things that we're hearing and the seeing and we're very concerned about, Lord, but we leave that in your hands because you know that you're in control. And We pray that you will work in our leaders' minds and hearts to make a better country of this country, Lord, and that many people can enjoy the wonderful freedoms that our forefathers have had in the past and the blessings. I pray especially, Father God, too, for our church here. And for the church down in Oklahoma as they're preparing to leave our denomination, I just pray for them and for the challenges that will be ahead of them. Pray also for our denomination and some of the rifts that are going on right now, Lord, that your hand will be upon it and bring peace and not discord. I pray especially too, Lord, we pray for Vicky and the loss of her husband, Scott. I pray also too for... Uh, Jeannie, who was here this morning, who lost Ron. I pray for the Davis family and the loss of their loved wife. I pray also for Jojo, Lord. You know what's going on with him, Lord, and I pray for healing for him. We also pray for those that are homeless, that need help. And we thank you for people who are out there helping them, and that also we can help them too. And Father, we pray also to those in our congregation that are struggling right now. I think of especially Lord Sharon. We thank you she was moved to another room now and her treatment is getting better and she's doing much better. We look forward to her coming home soon from her battle with COVID. We pray also for Lucille and for Kay. Uh, We pray also too for Joyce and for Mary and um, for um, Scott. And I pray also for Frank, Lord, and his condition is still the same. I think of Susie, Lord, and we pray also, too, for my uh, cousin's son, Tommy, Pastor Tommy, that uh, you'll bring healing to him and that his liver will continue to be accepted by his body and that he can return into the pulpit soon. I pray for also Betty and Howard and continue to bring healing to their bodies, uh, for our sister Kay. We pray also, too, Father God, for um, that, uh, that you'll be with Jack and also Ann and Amy. I pray also, too, Father, for um, Betty, Lord. And I also want to pray for uh, a friend, Lord, that uh, needs your help in a very specific situation, Lord. I just pray for him. I thank you also for bringing me through the catheterization on Friday. And I pray for my surgery on Wednesday, that everything will go smoothly, and a quick and complete healing will come to my body. I pray also, too, Father, um, for... Um, Pat, Lord, you know her needs and what she's going through also. And there's others, Lord, that we know of that need our help. It's so good to see Dean here today, and praise you, Lord, that he can get out now. And I praise you, Lord, for many of those who are sad and going through difficult times in nursing homes that couldn't see their loved ones for a long time, and now that's starting to open. I pray for Keith and his mom, Lord, just bless them in that situation also. And, Lord, uh, for the officer that was uh, hurt and the officers that were hurt yesterday in that um, uh, door entry and whatever went off, Lord, and hurt them, Lord, I pray for complete and total healing for them. And, Father, there's other things that are going on in our lives right now. Hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. Now Father, thank you for this time. I just pray that we can hear from your word what we need to hear, and that we can implement it in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Little boy was living in his uh, home, and a, a friend of his was having a birthday party up the street. And just when the birthday party was about to begin, there was a blizzard that came the night before. And the little boy was excited about going to the party, and everybody was going to be there because some of them had spent the night over there. And he wanted to go, but his father said, not with the blizzard, I can't let you go. And he said, Dad, I can go. I can carry the present. I can make it myself. And he was only two or three blocks away. And finally, his father said, okay, you can go. And as he was trudging through the snow and through the blizzard condition, he finally made it to the house. And as he got to the stairs and went to push the doorbell, he noticed out of the corner of his eye was a figure standing in the snow. It was his dad. His dad had followed him to make sure he made it and that he was going to be all right. And last week when we were talking about the scriptures here, it talked to us. As Peter said, the Lord's eyes are always upon us. His ears are always attentive to our prayers. And today we know that that our God does that every day with us. Even though there's circumstances, situations we may not like, he is there and he's behind us every step of the way. And Peter was telling them and reminding of that because the Christians in that day, if you remember, were under great persecution in the first century. They were being beaten, eaten by lions. They were burned at the stake. All the terrible, horrific things that were happening to them because Nero wanted to burn down Rome. And he was using the Christians as a scapegoat so that they wouldn't blame him for the burning of Rome. And that he could build this monument city for himself. And Peter tells them how to live. And Peter encourages them as they're going through this very distressful time. In fact, he calls it a fiery ordeal because many of them were burned at the stake. And he wants them to know that God is their father who loved them and chose them. He sent his son to die on the cross for them and spilled his precious blood so they are very important to him. And that the Holy Spirit is with them to help guide them and strengthen them through the difficulties that they're going through, and that they are called apart, they're a special priesthood, they're a bridge to God, to all these other pagan people, and especially the ones that were persecuting him. And as they go through these trials, that they realize that these are blessings because God is refining them and bringing more of Jesus into their life. And then that he shares with them how to deal with a government that is so much against you and go through with submission He talks about a boss or a slave owner that is wicked towards you too, that you are still to love them and do good by them and submit to them. He talks about a marriage that is unequally yoked where the husband or the wife are not believers and they're they're not very kind about their Christian faith. And he says, submit. And he talks about relationships that we have socially. Now Peter comes to the point where he talks about another avenue for which we handle these situations, these trials, and these tribulations. And Peter said, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Peter wants the people to realize that even though you're being mistreated, even though there are people who are not treating you well, you are to still put out your best and do good for them, to care for them and be zealous for good. Because maybe, just maybe, In your zealousness to good, they will appreciate what you do. And we have no excuse, even when we're treated badly, to treat others badly. And Peter wants to remind them to do that. You know, it's interesting, and it's, it's, it's a challenge because we are in the world, and you are on basically camera for them. They want to know how you act and how you live your life, and that if you really mean what you say. It's like the little boy who one day the pastor lived next door. And the pastor was a great gardener, but he was going to build this trellis. And the little boy next door sat up and just started watching him. And the pastor was getting a little annoyed by him watching. And he says, don't you have friends to play with or you could go somewhere? He said, maybe. Why are you watching me? He says, well, I want to see what happens when you bang your thumb with the hammer and see how you react whether you practice what you preach. You see, that's the world looking at us. When we're going through difficulties in time, Peter wants us to understand that even in those times that we do good, because we know not everybody, even if we do good for them, are gonna do good for us and reciprocate it. But we still, as Christians, do you realize that this world is filled even to this day, a persecution of Christians. The numbers are staggering. I couldn't believe it. But there's 200 million Christians who are being persecuted every day. Peter realizes that. He says, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. He says, God still blesses you. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled by the way they treat you. Do you realize, for instance, and I was reading this out of Christianity Day and other groups that have websites here uh, on the Internet. And they're talking about how Iran, um, what they do and how they persecute Christians over in their country who share the gospel and have violated international law. Um, uh, human rights violations and how they rip people out of their homes and they basically make them sweat and and put all kinds of things on them. In Entreat, which is northeast Africa, 27 Sunday school teachers in front of their children were ripped out of their classes and they began to whip them and scar them. Then they also put them into prisons. In Nigeria, Muslims militants pronounced a death sentence on five Christian students who were preaching in Christian and public schools and were at evangelistic outreach. Again in Nigeria, uh, there was a Christian community that was attacked, the village, and 3,000 others were displaced and 36 people were killed. In India, where we find the evangelical leaders were uh, pushed out of their homes and were killed. And then the rest of those who were, came to be Christians were held captive and $186,000 was given as ransom for their lives. This is in our generation, in China. How many were pushed out of their homes and, and, and how many uh, were set on fire for not obeying the law. In China it becomes, every once in a while they get a little more paranoid about Christianity because Christianity keeps on growing. And so what happens is um, they do a roundup and they start shutting churches down like Zion Lutheran Church that had 1500 members that they just shut right down and they took the, the leadership and they put them in jail or the reformed church there that was taken down. And the, when Christianity's popularity starts growing in China again, they begin to start shutting down in their paranoia and arresting people. They took even a family that was, had a printing press in the house next door, and they took uh, 350,000 Bibles that they had printed and burned them on the street, ripped apart the printing press, and then put the family in prison because of their ways in which they were handing out the Christianity. And you see, we're blessed in this country because we haven't had to understand nothing like that in that persecution, but it is happening. We're seeing it more and more every day. When you see in our Congress, they have a hearing. And one of the leaders of the congressional hearing says, we don't need to hear that religious stuff in here. Or then again, when they swear in, those to her congressional hearing what you hear is you promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth stop not so help you god that's left out in fact there has been people who've had arguments over starting of those hearings because of that very issue where they're leaving god out and there are people in the society who want to push god out i know a friend who was working in a large corporation in this city And he had a Bible on his desk that he would have his devotions every morning when he got to work. And one day he got a complaint against him. And he had to go up to the head office and they said, you've got to take your Bible off your desk. Because you're intimidating your employees. And he refused to. And he was given uh, reprimand for that because he would not take his Bible off his desk. You see, that's happening all over. And we need to understand that, that we may see this come at some point in time. And what does Peter say how we're to handle it? He says that we do zealously for the good of each other. You see, that goodness is profitable for many places. And you would think people who are profiting by it would be grateful for that. But instead, sometimes that turns into being persecuted are being put down. And Jesus says that in John's Gospel, the 15th chapter, verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before and it hates you. Jesus already spelled it out. You know, America is so blessed by what we have with a consistent Christian heritage behind us. We have been so blessed in many ways with our morals and with our values and everything, but that's being now pushed aside by a world that says we don't need those values. Even though Christianity has benefited the Western civilization tremendously, it has been good. For instance, there are people who say, well, what about human rights, women's rights? They bring up Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem didn't start women's rights. Jesus started human rights for women. Who was it that first proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the tomb? It was women. Why is it that the Bible speaks about caring for the wife and treating her special? Why? Because we believe as Christians and the Bible shares that we are made in the image of God. And in the days where Paul was speaking about that, women were not regarded, but they were regarded as possessions of a husband. And their children were possessions of the husband. And that in those days, men would say to their wives, after giving birth, they said, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it away. That's how cruel that society was toward. Women, And yet the beauty of it is that the Christians stood and they gave women the rights and the things that they needed. Gloria Stein didn't start that. In that Roman society, Paul already wrote to that, to the freedom of women. We look at our society. Why do we have so many hospitals here? It's because of Christians who saw the need for a hospital and built them in the name of Jesus. Good Samaritan Hospital, Holy Name Hospital, all these hospitals, St. Teresa's, all these hospitals were started by Christians. And literacy and freedom of slavery started by Christians in England. Witherspoon. And those who stood up against the government and all his life worked toward the freedom of the black man from slavery. And the child labor lords came from the grassroots of the church. The salvation army of caring for the needy came from the church. And you see, all this comes because the gospel broke through. But you see, that doesn't give us protection. Sometimes we suffer it, for it. Toleration for the gospel sometimes is there for a while because it's benefiting. But after a while it wanes and then the attacks come. And today we see that and we're going to see more of it. The more and more we as Christians, you know, if, it, it, as we go along in our lives, the more and more we as Christians believe what the Bible says, we're going to be persecuted for it. We live in a society once everybody is free, and they are, which is fine. But when it comes to the eternal life, there are not many ways to get to heaven. If it were so, I would love to be able to say them, but they're not. Because every other religion, you have to do things in order to earn your way. And you don't promise that you're going to get it. Whereas the gospel of Jesus Christ says there's only one way. And it's by grace alone, none of the works that we can do. And Jesus said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but for me, but through me. And that grace is there for everybody. And we don't say that we're better people or that because we're nice people, Christians, that we're going to get to heaven. No. We say we're sinful people. And that the only way we're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And that we have this message that's a better message, yes. And that we're better off because we know for certain we're going to heaven. Whereas other religions have no clue whether or not they're going to make it to heaven. They're on works righteousness. They have no chance, half of them. Because nobody is perfect. And so therefore, the Bible here says we may suffer. But still, no matter what, we need to be eager for doing what's right in God's sight. And the Greek word speaks to us about loving and caring for people even when they treat us wrong. And that we rejoice for doing what is right. said, so do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. We don't need to be frightened or intimidated or be troubled because we know God has us in his hand. And we are called then, how do we react? Yes, we're to do good even when they're treating us wrongly. But then the Bible says here, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness... And, reverence. and this is, he's repeating in words that were given to a king who was surrounded in how God delivered them. That we need to sanctify Christ as Lord and he'll help us as we go through this. And that we have to sanctify Christ in our own hearts. In order so that we can share this wonderful news, this wonderful message to the world. And so that we can feel the truth of God in, in the world that we give and to give it out to them. See, there have been times when I haven't shared the gospel or I cringed or I choked when I should have shared the gospel because Jesus wasn't Lord of my life at that point. I was afraid to be embarrassed by giving a wrong answer. Don't ever be afraid. If somebody asks you about something in the Christian faith and you don't know, admit it and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand, but I can go and look it up. And I'll come back to you with an answer. There was times that I was embarrassed because I was afraid of being foolish of what I said. There's other times that when I was in college, I froze because I knew I wouldn't be a good witness because I was a hypocrite. Because some of the things I was doing as a Christian, I shouldn't have been doing. And they would have saw right through that and say that guy's a hypocrite. And that froze me from being a good witness. You see, the Lordship of Christ needs to be over everything in our lives. And when we do that, we don't get frozen when we have to give a witness about the Christ that's in us. And that we know the truth will set people free. And we need to do that in our own lives. So that when we give a witness, and notice what he says to make a defense to everyone who asks the count of the hope that is in you. you know, when we lead Christ as Lord, we show the difference to the world. I can remember meeting a girl that was, grew up in a Christian church, but she had no Christian belief. And what happened with her was she wound up starting to believe in reincarnation. And we were dating. And as we were dating for two and a half months, one day that girl came to me and said, what makes you and your friends so different? Why do you care about people like you do? Especially about where they are with God. And I began to share with her, and I was able to share with her the gospel when she at first said to me, don't talk to me about that religion stuff. And when I shared that with her, and she took it home and began to open up her heart, she came to know Christ. And my wife, Sandy, today was the gal who I shared with that came to know Christ through that. Through what she saw, she had been around Christianity all her life, but she never had understood much about it and the answers. But especially people who genuinely was concerned about the souls of people's hearts. And one of the most important things, folks, you see, if you read "A Case for Christ" by Lee Strobel, he was an agnostic um, reporter for journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was an atheist. He didn't believe, but his wife went to church and came to know Christ. And as she began to show in her life how different she became because of Jesus in her heart, he began to question, and he went to church with her finally. And he opened up his heart, but he needed his mind also because he had to go face reporters and other reporters who didn't believe in this and were atheists themselves. And she shared with him And he at first did not believe because he needed answers to some of the questions, the hard questions that he knew would be asked of him. And the same thing was true with my wife. See, do you know your own story? What would you say if somebody says to you, what makes you so different in your life? What were you like before you met Jesus in your heart? What were some of the things that were going on in your life? What happened when you came to understand Jesus, when he opened up your heart? What was it that opened up your heart to give your life to Jesus? And how is that making a difference now in your life? You see, those three aspects are beautiful things to have prepared. So that when somebody asks you, what makes you so different? You can share that with them and that you can tell them what Christ has done for your life, and that you can be what Christ wants you to be, and that they see it every day. Chuck Colson himself commented about the early church. You know, people could say Jesus is God, but once they said Jesus is Lord, and it interfered with Caesar being Lord, that's when Christians were troubled and were persecuted And they had to give an answer of how they live for Christ. The same is true with us. How did Jesus touch your life? And then deal with some of the issues. Some of the key matters that keep people. There's a dozen things people have. Why does God allow the pygmies in Africa never to hear it. Those kind of questions that trouble some Christians. Some of them use them as blocks so that they don't have to believe in Jesus Christ. But others, it means something. And one of the key issues that you need to decide in all of our lives as Christians, Christ is the only thing that matters, folks. We can have money, we can have things. All those things are nice, but in the end, The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. And we have to be prepared. How did he touch your life? Are you ready to answer that to somebody who asks you if you're a Christian? How did Christ come and touch you? Then the second thing is, he says, be ready to give a defense. The word there is apology. And it doesn't mean, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. No, that's not what it means. It means apology apologetics. Apologetics is giving answers to some of the hard questions that people will ask you about the Christian faith. And ask yourself, you see, Jesus said to us, he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We need to have minds that understand that there are questions in the world that people will have that keep them from coming to Christ. And if we have the answer We don't take our minds when we come to Christ and put them in a garage in Buffalo and shut the door. No, we need to have our minds ready to give answers so that people can hear the truth of the gospel. And why this Christianity makes so much sense to us. Why do we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or is it just a myth? There are people out there who think it's a myth. And when you can supply them with answers, and you can show them that it's not a myth, but it's a historical fact, that Jesus rose from the dead. They have to ask themselves then, if this is the truth, and this actually happened, then I need to make a decision. Do I accept Christ's resurrection and have him come into my life? Or do I continue to live and ignore what he did? See, those facts are needed for some people to see and believe. It's a reasonable defense that Peter says of that hope that's in you. And there are people out there that have books, Josh McDowell, Paul Little, C.S. Lewis, Leighton Ford, Billy Graham, that have answers that we can supply people with that help them see that there is truth in what we say and that this is not just some made up thing But it's very real and historically provable of what took... And then look what Peter says. He says to do it with gentleness and with reverence. Now, we don't tell people they're idiots because they don't believe in Jesus Christ, even though we may think that. He says do it with gentleness and reverence. I remember sharing with a young man back in New Jersey who was on a motorcycle... And as he was riding his motorcycle, his brakes failed and he wound up hitting a wall head first. He became a quadriplegic. All his limbs and extremities could not be used. And I remember going to see him in the hospital after the accident. And he was on what they called as a striker frame, which is they lay you on this striker frame And they can move you around so that your blood flow gets to all the extremities so they don't deteriorate. And I can remember we were talking and he liked music. And I talked to him about the gospel, and about Christ, and talked to him about what, what that all meant to him. And it really wasn't making much sense. But he liked music. And so I said to him, the next time I'll come and bring my guitar and we can sing together. Well, there he was on the striker frame, and I went into the hospital, laid on the floor, and we played, and we sang all 60s and 70s music. Now, I'm not sure what the floor thought, and I don't know how many people were plugging their ears, but we sang anyway, and we had a great time, and that began this friendship. And I remember him getting out of the hospital and being tied to his bed or to a wheelchair and all the things we went through, but during that time, he gave his life to Christ, and um, he uh, opened up his heart to jesus and, but tragically before that i was very disappointed because a guy that knew him who had come to christ was a very abrupt and brutal guy and i'm sorry i took him to see him because that night he said you, he first words out of his mouth but to sean was hey sean you know you're going to hell i'm like after I tried so hard to love this kid and and help this kid to see Jesus. And Mike didn't help any matters. But besides that, God worked in Sean's heart and Sean gave his life to Jesus. I hear from Sean now. He lives down in Arizona with his sister and he's 57 years old and he's still a quadriplegic, but God has used him and he loves the Lord with all his heart. And because of the gentleness, and I respected his questions. I didn't make fun of him and say, well, Sean, that's kind of a stupid question. No, he had legitimate questions about Christian faith that he needed to have answered in order to understand the faith fully and the reliability of it. And with that came, finally, one day, he opened his heart up to Christ and gave himself to the Lord. You see, sometimes it takes the combination. Of knowing the answers and also caring for people in the process I found that with a girl who was a prostitute in in our um, in, in where we lived she lived behind us and I can remember working with her and trying to help her to see the gospel for at least probably eight years nine years and finally one day she got arrested and I was able to talk with her a little bit more, but it was the girls in my church who finally reached out to her, and it was so neat how God worked it all out. We had shared with a group of kids that were hanging out at a Starbucks, and we left them these pamphlets that were called the Four Spiritual Laws, and talked about how a person could come to know Christ. And after we spoke with them, some of the girls had crushes on the two good-looking guys that I had with me. They were single guys. And we left, and they left their pamphlets out. And we thought, well, let those pamphlets, maybe they're going to go to somebody else's hand. But when we left, one of the girls went back and picked up the pamphlet. Her name was Kathy. And she read the pamphlet and gave her life to Christ. And then she led her sister, Ellie, to Christ. And here the two of them became involved in our church. Ellie became a Sunday school superintendent and also taught Sunday school. And then they ran into Phyllis one day. One of them had gone to school with Phyllis. And they started talking with her. And here I had, was going to take Phyllis to court um, about a month later because she had charges on her for shoplifting And they shared with her the gospel, the same gospel I had been sharing with Phyllis. But because they made this connection, she accepted Jesus. And sure enough, a month later, we went to court, and after that, she passed away. But I could share the joy that she was with Jesus because she died of AIDS. You see, and how the power of the gospel works in that. And because those girls loving on her and helping her understand the evidence, she came to know Christ. And you see, that's when we do it with gentleness and we respect the person. And then finally, it says, and do it with a good conscience. And keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, will be put to shame when they see you. Even though they're mocking you and They realize that you did it for a good reason because of the love of Christ. Your conscience is giving witness to them of the goodness of God. You know, there are people all over this world that have seared consciences or evil consciences. You see, the Bible speaks about that conscience, and we're to keep ourselves pure in our consciences. But the the conscience is the inner judge where we get the knowledge from God of what is right and wrong. And that begins to make us understand what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And when people start allowing the world to cloud the windows of their conscience and stop letting the light of Christ in, all kinds of evil starts happening. It's like a window that gets covered and it gets dirtier and dirtier. And the Bible calls that kind of a conscience a defiled conscience. A conscience that can't see clearly anymore. And then what happens? The conscience becomes a You ever wonder why people do such heinous crimes? Because their window first got clouded. Then they have the conscience that gets not only defiled, but then it begins to be seared where it doesn't feel or sense what's right and wrong anymore. They just do it because they want to do it. And then there's that final part of their conscience that becomes evil. And they want things to happen evil because that's where they're at. It's tragic. But that's what happens in our society when we see all these evil things happening. It's because their consciences have become clouded. And Paul's Peter says to us, you keep a good conscience so that when people even say things negatively against you and you stand before them, they will see the goodness within you. And that you have a good conscience. And that good conscience comes from the understanding what God wants from your life. And that you spiritually, you live it out. And what it does is it fortifies your conscience. It gives you peace. When everybody else is accusing you, you know in your own heart that you have done right in God's eye. And it gives you a peace in your heart. And it removes fear. Of what men can say to you. Because you've got a clear conscience. And you have a good witness. To the world. And that even if. When they're accusing you wrongly. Slandering you as it says in this passage. They're put to shame. Because the truth comes out. And people will know. That you were right. You look at Joseph. How he was falsely accused. By Potiphar's wife. And yet God raised him up. Daniel, the same way. And that we as Christians don't suffer and should not suffer for doing evil. But there are times that we will suffer for doing good. People will try to slander you, but don't fear. You have a good conscience and you can stand. You can, can still love them even when they're saying all kinds of negative things about you. And that you can stand tall and make a great witness to people who want to do you wrong. Because you've done them good. You've cared for them. And you wanted the best for their lives. You know, one of the interesting things that I came across to close out this message was back in 1999, January 23rd. This was example just goes to show. What I've been trying to say in this message today on that day, Graham Staines, who was a missionary in India, his son Philip, eleven years old, and Timothy six years old, were out doing mission work amongst the Hindus in India. And that night. They had a few more things to do the next day and they stayed overnight and basically camped out in their jeep. And that night, militant Muslims came and stormed their jeep, started poking holes with their spears and then they poured gasoline on that jeep and lit it on fire. And when the fire burned, they could hear the screams of him and his sons. And when it was over, and they took the tarp, that tarp had burned off, there was a figure of Graham, holding both of his sons, 11 and six years old, as they burned to death. And when it finally cooled, And the next day, his wife, Gladys, and their daughter, Esther, who was 13 at the time, received word that they had been burned to death. And they put a picture of their family on, I think it was Time Magazine back in 1999. And Gladys, the mom, they interviewed her for the paper in India. That was over a billion people readership and she said i have only one message for the people of india i'm not bitter neither am i angry but i have one great desire that each citizen of this country should establish a personal relationship with jesus christ who gave his life for their sins and let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. Many people were surprised that she and her daughters stayed in India and continued to work in India as missionaries. She wrote, My husband and our children have been sacrificed for this nation. India is our home now. And I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. And then their daughter Esther, 13 years old, was asked about her father's dying and her brothers. She gave an answer that basically, if you were to read the book of Acts, that's what it would have come from. Because she said, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for his namesake. Wow, 13 years old. And that's why Peter calls us and says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness, And reverence. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this witness to our lives today. And we pray, Jesus, that we can sanctify you as Lord, that we know that everything in this world revolves around you, and we give it to you. And that you give us the ability to speak about you and to give a good witness good answers about the faith that's inside of our hearts. And help us, Lord, to do it in gentleness and reverence. I thank you for these people, Lord, who love you, Jesus, and for their mission work as they go out into the world, whether it's in a neighborhood or at a job or at a school, wherever they go, Jesus, that you will use them and they will rest on your power through the Holy Spirit to love people. So even when they're being treated crudely or cruelly, they can love them anyway. Jesus, use these, your folks. And it's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's rise and receive the benediction. And let's close with our closing psalm. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit rest and abide on all of you, now
0: and forever. Amen.